0: All right, y'all, tune in for uh, the first episode of uh, Make That Radio Show for 2024, and I have Scott Root, who is a a very diverse, uh, I think, Scott, I think you're like more of a renaissance man. You do a lot of different things, so I've done a lot of different things as well, Um, that includes being a a politician, an author, a motivational speaker, former podcast host, um, businessman, so... Scott, uh thank you one for uh coming on to the show. Ain't hey, um, no problem. Also, I just uh one wanted, wanted to talk about you have a we can go in a lot of different directions here. Um, but one thing that struck me about uh your profile was like, you know, talking about the pandemic and how it had an impact on their workforce. Mm-hmm. But prior to getting into that uh, let's go over, you know, some of the things, your background, one, being in two world, uh, Little League World Series and eating at the White House three times before the age of 12. Yeah. You, you just came out the womb, superstar. I
1: that, no, no, it was just, uh, uh, you know, how the universe, weird things line up. And uh, and I had some great opportunities. Uh, it was not on my part, that's for sure, especially mm-hmm. at 12. Yeah,
0: no, I definitely get that. Um, so, uh, you've been on, uh, national TV shows, including, uh, appearances on Dr. Phil and stuff. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, like, you know, your, uh, where did you jump into, like, you know, politics, your political background? When, when did that start for you?
1: Oh, man, I had the bug since I was a boy. I mean, obviously, I think going to the White House so many times, uh, when I was a kid and mm-hmm. eating dinner in the White House, sitting right mm-hmm. next to the, you know, across the table as the Speaker of the House or, uh, yeah. you know, Vice President. So that was pretty cool uh you know and stuff yeah i had it since i was just a kid and had a family friend who was a judge dad's judge and i went around and did all the campaigning with him when i was a kid and did the parades i had the bug so mm-hmm. when i was 27 i decided hey i'm going to run for the, the Missouri legislature and uh, young punk at 27 and
0: mm-hmm. and i won
1: and that started off uh, my my political career that spanned uh, 20 years uh and stuff and ended up being the most senior member of the Missouri State Senate uh, at the mm-hmm. age of 41 which mm-hmm. uh, was quite young to be the most senior member uh, and stuff. So it was a, it was a pretty unique, uh, unique experience.
0: Um, what did you accomplish or what would you say would be, you know, a couple of highlights, some mouse cell moments in that career?
1: Yeah. The biggest one was, uh, you know, this was going back, uh, you know, in like 2006, 2007 uh, in my state. Uh, if, if you had uh, you know, a diagnosis like autism, Mm-hmm. Uh, autism was really starting to grow and starting to become much more prevalent. Uh, our health insurance companies would not uh, cover you for health insurance. They would mm-hmm. say it was a pre-existing condition. And there mm-hmm. was a lot of proven therapies out there that could help kids with uh, autism. Um, and, you know, the parents just couldn't get coverage. And a lot of them were just being denied basic mm-hmm. health care. So oh, yeah. I passed legislation uh, to make sure that that was they were allowed to get their health care uh that their parents were paying for and it also would cover those life saving treatments. Um and they ended up using our l our, our language we did in Missouri as a model language and they and they've now got it in I think all fifty states, if not forty nine, but I think they have it in all fifty states now.
0: Oh wow. So very uh innovative and, you know, setting a bar across the nation. I love that. Um, so then I guess, you know, transitioning into, you know, becoming an author, was that the reason why you wrote your, uh, book or was it due to, you know, you went from political career to then business owner and then saw the, you know, issues that small business owners face?
1: Yeah. So I, yeah, I've had uh, a couple small businesses, built them up, uh, sold them off. Uh, I was, uh, put in charge of, uh, uh, regulating all the large utilities in our state, uh, the big investor room billion dollar utility companies uh, you know ran an organization of two hundred people uh, and I started watching what was happening uh, at the pandemic. Uh, my wife became mm-hmm. a mental health counselor she was teaching me so much about the brain and trauma and what was going on when people have trauma and I was looking at the pandemic and how people were responding you know because mm-hmm. the pandemic gave us the great resignation which basically was a collective up yours from Mm -hmm. employees to their employers saying, yeah, I ain't coming back. I'm not working for you anymore because Mm -hmm. they had a significant emotional event, which a significant emotional event is something that makes you kind of pause and take Mm -hmm. value or stock of your life. Uh, Mm -hmm. You think of it this way. You go to the doctor and he's like, hey, man, you got to lose weight. You got to quit smoking and you need to exercise. And you ignore him. You go back the next year, and he's like, hey, man, you got to lose weight, quit smoking, exercise. You ignore him for 10 years until you have a minor heart attack. And then mm-hmm. you go, ooh, I should probably lose weight, quit smoking, and start exercising. And that's a significant emotional mm-hmm. event. It makes you get out of your pattern of behavior and reevaluate things. And that's what the pandemic did for so many people uh, is it caused them to reevaluate why am i driving 45 minutes one way to a job where i can do it from my kitchen and why do they make me take off if my kid is sick or if i need to run him to the hospital or something you know and so people reevaluated it i saw that happening uh, and i started to s- apply that to the modern workforce and i started researching it and then that's when the book came out it's called i quit winning mm-hmm. the war for top talent um and actually the week uh, that i published the American Psychological Association came out and said in a press release it was on Fox News that all of their data shows that US adults experienced collective trauma during mm-hmm. the pandemic. So it was almost like when my book came out, mm-hmm. the, the big psychological association said, Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So uh it yeah. was it was well timing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. So the concept of like, you know, quiet quitting. Um why is it important for, you know, leaders to be aware of that? And, you know, I know I've seen it in just explain a little bit of what quiet quitting is from a, yeah. So
1: quiet quitting is a, is a term. It was originally uh, called laying flat that originated in China.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: and then it kind of, you know, got a lot of viral o- online before the, the Chinese, uh, uh, took, uh, you know, took the, the posts off, uh, but it had already spread worldwide and then it turned into quiet quitting in, in the United States, which basically just means that uh, people are no longer going to be giving hours and hours of extra work that is uncompensated to their employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're overworked. They're stressed out. They're underappreciated. And so basically what quiet quitting is, is like, hey, I'm going to do exactly what I have to do, the bare minimum for what you're paying for me. And I'm just going to quiet. I'm just going to stay quiet and do my thing. You're not going to be getting all of this extra out of me and time away from my family, uh, you know, and so it was kind of like a way of like I'm just kind of going to quietly quit, you know, doing all this uh, this extra stuff for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was a reaction to pre-pandemic, our culture, work culture was so geared towards maximum productivity. You know, Microsoft did a study and they came out and they found that all the productivity pre-pandemic. All it was doing was masking an exhausted workforce. The people Mm -hmm. were exhausted. They were stressed out. They were riddled with anxiety. But you couldn't see it because of all of this productivity. The pandemic changed that. It hit the pause button, and everyone was going, I can't do this. I'm miserable. My life uh, is way out of balance. And the pandemic gave the people opportunity to reevaluate what truly was important. And what you have now seen is the great resignation and now we're in the great disconnect.
0: But what is the great disconnect?
1: Well, the great disconnect is, uh, uh is, is it employers are still thinking, Hey, we're going to return to the pre pandemic levels of productivity and people were going to work in that. And the workforce is saying, no, no, I, I value my work life balance. I, I recognize I need my time off and I'm not going to be. You know, phoning in and, and working on vacation. I'm not going to be working on the, on the weekends. Um, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And you're seeing that in remote work where a lot of people are like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not coming into the office full time. I have a, a life balance that I want. And so what there is, is there's a big disconnect between what employers are saying you need to do and what the workforce is going. No, no, that's, that's not what I need. And until you meet my needs, I am not going to either a work for you or B, an engaged employee that will give you high productivity Mm
0: -hmm. so then with the how can employers understand and how can they pivot what do they need to do
1: sure yes great question well first thing they have to realize is that things have changed Mm -hmm. and they can't just say oh yeah i recognize things have changed they got to actually understand it and believe it and know that the workforce is going to be different moving forward I mean, you know, starting next year in 2025, the majority of the workforce is going to be uh, millennials and those younger. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's I mean, it's going to be a big, big change in the in the mindsets of that. So they have to recognize what do my employees or what does the current workforce want? What do they need out of their their lives? I mean, I mean, I look at my dad. I mean, he worked for 41 years at, at the same company and mm-hmm. got a pension. And stuff, but then in the 1980s, that changed when 401ks were introduced and work became more transitory, whereas I might work here for six or seven years, but I can leave. And now what we're seeing is that people are working two or three years at a job. And then they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is really isn't fulfilling for me. And they're not just staying in the same industry. They're industry hopping. I mean, mm-hmm. they might go from healthcare to IT to government relations to sales. They're all over the place looking for something of significance. And so, if you understand what your current employees want is a life of significance. They want to be valued. They want to be mentored. They want to gain skills that are going to help them in the future. And you can provide that and meet and meet their needs. There, they will be loyal and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand what it is they truly want besides just a paycheck.
0: So who's able to satisfy that workforce need better, mid-sized companies, bigger, large uh, companies, or small businesses?
1: You know, that's that that really is a great question, and I think the answer is it really doesn't matter mm-hmm. because it all boils down to who your immediate supervisor or leader is. You know, people don't quit jobs. They quit managers. They quit bosses. And regardless of the size of your company, if you do not have a culture that is empowering and listening and understanding your employees all the way down to every person in the leadership that leads people, you know, that it doesn't matter if, if you have a small business, you know, that, you know, might have one leader that leads 50 people versus a big business has one leader that leads 10. So really it comes down to empowering your leaders within your organizations to be effective leaders, to understand mm-hmm. What are my employees' learning styles? How do they learn? How should I best guide them? What uh, uh, what is their language of appreciation? Am I appreciating them in the way that they want to be appreciated, or is it just falling flat? And having them understand and I I, I I'm a big fan of behavior analytics uh, of understanding who works for you, who you are leading, and if you can understand behaviors, you can predict be uh, you know future behaviors. Uh, mm-hmm. And stuff, and you can kind of understand that. Hey, you might be, you know, a, a learning style that's very introverted. You know, mm-hmm. and if I put you in a in a whiteboard in a conference room and put you on the spot and ask you questions, you might freeze up, and you might be so internally angst filled because that's not how you want to learn or you want to be uh, presented. So knowing those things. You can draw the best out of people, and they feel heard, they feel appreciated, and they feel supported.
0: So with that, then you talk about productivity, right? And how Microsoft did the study and people being overly productive. Let's say everybody was at 100% productivity. Mm-hmm. Now with the new work uh, working economy. And the labor force taking back you know it's, it's sort of like you know what I'm saying, I'm looking at like collective bargaining and right stuff. yeah yeah, you're seeing um, that on the right. great point, um, let's say it dropped to seventy five percent now productivity with the workforce, so that twenty five percent has to be made up, so are companies just like their approach are they just throwing bodies at the percentage to keep that same productivity up to be able to on the business side handle the demand that's being Put on steel by their customers and clients and stuff like that. What, what are yeah. they doing to navigate that?
1: Right. So so what what we saw them do is in the response is that they they threw money at the problem. Uh, you know, they're just like, OK, we you know, people are quitting. We can't get in. So they were just throwing money, trying to pay people more to get them enticed. And if you kind of remember post pandemic, if you were looking for a job, you were going to get a pay raise. I mean, it was just. Uh, you, the, 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 pendulum had swung over from management to labor. And so labor was demanding higher pace and they, and they were getting that. So businesses just kind of threw money at the problem, thinking that that would, that would solve it. Then inflation hit in the United States. Well, and globally. Um, mm-hmm. and so a lot of those increased paychecks were completely wiped away, mm-hmm. uh, and stuff. And so what we are finding is that the top talent, and that's the book is called, you know, I like, quit winning the war for top talent. Is mm-hmm. it your best people are going to start, you know, looking for other opportunities? Um, you know, if the culture of where they're at is, is not, is not strong, if it's not fulfilling them, uh, and stuff, it, 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 if you have an engaged employee, it will take a minimum of a 20% pay raise for them to probably consider leaving. Mm-hmm. If you have an unengaged employee, somebody that's just not happy there, it's not a good fit. They don't feel supported. Mm-hmm. It won't even take a pay raise to get them to leave and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so throwing money at the problem is not a long term solution mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, you have to fix that systemic culture that is that is in there because your top talent, if they're if, if they're unsatisfied, they will they'll leave for less for for the same money, you know, but they'll probably get more uh, and, and, and do that. And so really, we're kind of in that 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 disconnect of what employers think the problem is and how mm-hmm. to find the solution and what employees are saying, no, this is really the problem. And until those two things line up, employers recognize what employees are saying the mm-hmm. problem is and believe it and take steps to address it. Uh, uh Yeah. I mean, it's, you're going to continue to have businesses fighting to try to keep and retain the top best people.
0: I would imagine that uh, the bigger corporations, let's say an Apple or a Microsoft if uh, they're looking at it from an executive position and trying to fulfill the demand that's being left there, um, that they're probably fighting with like shareholders as well, because, you know, they want dividends and stuff being <laughs> paid out be mm-hmm. at that same pre pandemic threshold instead of, you know, like you said, throwing money at the problem, more expenses and things of that nature, ultimately lowering the uh, huge bottom line. Um I, I've, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think thanks. that there's a balance that can be met because I read about various companies prior to the uh pandemic, right? I read about a, a bread company that I think that was in Wisconsin where the person on the line was making like seventy five thousand dollars whatever for the bread assembly and everybody had an equal vote in the company and that's mm-hmm. what it was. I read about other companies where you know they they have uh uh, child care facilities at mm-hmm. the place of business and yep. at not a cost to the actual employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think it's like models like that that yeah. companies are going to so, have to start employing, like seriously yeah, agree. investing? Agree.
1: Yes, you're 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 spot on. Uh, you touched on the union uh, issue earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, unions are, are going to experience a renaissance. Uh, they, you know, you know, you go back pre-pandemic and union. Uh, membership was at an all-time low. The, the popularity, the opinion polls on unions were at an all-time low. Uh, mm-hmm. and now you're seeing this great resurgence because people are looking for something more. They're looking mm-hmm. for, you know, better leadership, more, more camaraderie or something they're not getting. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're, they're looking, uh, uh to the union you know, membership. Uh, you know, the other thing too is, you know, you're looking at AI. AI has come in and that's mm-hmm. one way that some of that productivity has been, uh, you know, even with less people and, and, uh, and, and you can squeeze out a little bit more productivity using uh, using artificial intelligence and um, you know, in, in things of, of, of that nature. But back to your point on on the different models. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to see more alignment between, uh, you know, what you know, the, the, the wants and the behaviors and the needs of the employee to to the, the employer. Uh, you mentioned uh, child care, uh, you know, in. I think childcare is now more expensive than a college education in 26 of the 50 U.S. states. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it is just it has gone in, insane uh, on on the cost uh, that that is there. And so that is something is like, hey, I understand that you want remote work maybe because you have to deal with childcare issues. You have to pick your kids up and things of that nature. How can we? You know, give you a flexible schedule to achieve that. How can we provide you know child care on site if that's something that uh, that you need? looking at that what is actually the average modern employee needing in their life and mm-hmm. in in their stuff, and how can we get that? because I don't want you know I don't want an employee sitting at their desk when they're sitting there trying to figure out, you know, mom has dementia and how mm-hmm. are we going to get her into and stuff she's not there being productive she's mm-hmm. worried about her you know her so how can we provide services you know through our employee assistance programs to help you deal with some of these life issues so when you are there you're focused you're there you're providing and then your productivity rises and you feel supported you feel appreciated that they truly are recognizing what is important to you and your family
0: So in putting out your book and talking with this topic and you being a motivational speaker as well, I imagine you go into the rooms and it's not only great from a consumer standpoint, but then also your book, I imagine, draws in employers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is the information they're telling you? Are they listening to what you're saying? Are they, you know, resistance to the feedback that's being provided?
1: Um, you know, you know, some are listening. Some are resisting. Um, if I had to give a generalization, it breaks down the the generations. Um, if you are a, a a a a you know sixty plus CEO that has grown up and you have worked your way through the corporate ladder, everything that you have been trained is one way and that is how you see it. And you look at this as is agreeing like well no, that ain't the way it's going to be and stuff because that's not how you were you were trained um if you are a CEO that is you know you know younger than that and has had more uh interaction with the different uh generational mix um you're a little bit more open to uh you know you know to some of the some some of the ideas uh the 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 millennials and the the gen Z the younger ones they're just eating it up they're saying ma'am mm-hmm. this is this is this is our bible this is this mm-hmm. is exactly what we feel, this is what we are, are seeing, um, you know, and, and I, we wrote it, you know, with all the research looking at what is the future of the workforce. In the mm-hmm. future of the workforce, the majority of it is going to be the younger people. Um, and, you know, we're in a different paradigm shift. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, you had my dad, you know, the work had a pension mm-hmm. and then you had people that had 401ks. That was a huge paradigm shift in the workplace. What we're seeing post pandemic, I believe, you know, 20 years now, they're going to look back and say that was a huge paradigm shift in the relationship between, between work, we don't know how it's all going to, all going to play out. Um, we're, mm-hmm. we're really in the beginning stages of this. Um, but all the data is kind of, is kind of showing that, uh, you know, being in tune with your employees of what they want and what they need in, um, mm-hmm. in delivering it, um, mm-hmm. you know, just will increase your productivity and help you uh, attract the best talent and retain people, the good people that you want to have.
0: Yeah, I've been saying it uh, for a long time as being an employer. Um, I've employed people, and it's always people love the culture. They feel mm-hmm. valued. They love the fact that they come on board and their ideas and their vested interest in the business is valued, and they're able to express that. And then when they have to call off and do things, that's fine. I'm like, you mm-hmm. know, work still has to get done some type of way, but it's not. I don't believe in that nagging the person right. <laughs> whatever. Also, I remember going through business school and talking about, like, you know, how other countries and nations, like uh was a, in Europe, like a 40-hour work week is, you know, pretty much full time here. But over there, it's like 32 hours or 33, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. hours make a difference um, in being able to have that flexibility because uh, I understand, yes, businesses were supposed to make money and stuff like that. But at some particular point, I think the humanity of that mm-hmm. <laughs> needs to yep. still be there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I you you brought up uh, Europe, which is a great point. In the book, I I tell the story about a, a big company um, um, that uh, the CEO's husband was from Spain, and mm-hmm. so she would visit Spain a lot to visit his family and saw the different culture around work that they have and how much it's about community and family and, and things. Um, and so she came back and and realized. You know, that, hey, we need to start, you know, putting this culture into our work. And they came up with a a sabbatical that once Mm -hmm. you've been there seven years, 10 years in in certain things, they would pay you to take two, four, six weeks off and give you money if you wanted it to go travel and Mm -hmm. to spend time with your family and to go and explore stuff is kind of a way of saying, hey, and they would help you plan it. And they would, Mm -hmm. and so it wasn't just like, "Oh, hey, here's a check." They would say, "How can we help you?" And then they had a site. When people came back, they could everybody get together and they talk about their trip and everything. And it was very much a culture of your family, your your enrichment, the quality time that you have Mm -hmm. is important to us, and we Mm -hmm. want to reward that. When they implemented that, ten years later, they had ten times the size of their business. Yeah. Their employees were so, was so the people were staying longer and they were giving in and their business just exploded. Um, and it's a, and I, I talk about it in, in the book, but it was that whole culture of, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our lives should be centered around, you know, our life, not our work, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. And, uh, and that's a big, 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 big thing that we're seeing is, is people are understanding that now.
0: Yeah. I definitely love that. I love hearing stuff like that. Um, so in, uh, putting out the book, uh, did you have any expectations, um, or did you just uh, organically let it do what it did?
1: I just organically, uh, uh, let it, it do this. Is the the first one I, I wrote and I wrote it just because I was fascinated by it. Um, and mm-hmm. started just putting it out there. Um, I was, uh, I was really pleasantly surprised at how well it's been doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you kind of think, oh, you're going to have a big, you know, rocket up, yeah. or, and then it's just going to go right back down. Uh-huh. It didn't. Uh, we had a great launch. Uh, you know, and, and the, the sales have been doing great. And then the, the audio book came out a few weeks later. That that was even better because I I'm an auditory person. I, I'm in mm-hmm. the car a lot. Uh, you know, so that really uh, uh helped. Uh, we hit number one. Uh, a new release on Amazon, uh, you know, we're number one best sellers in a couple categories there. So uh, yeah, was really surprised at it. It was uh, uh, something I didn't wasn't trying to be this great author. Was just mm-hmm. trying to share, hey, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I've experienced, and this is how I think people should adapt uh, and mm-hmm. leaders should adapt moving forward. And you know, it's been it's been quite a fun ride.
0: So uh, uh, tell me about the podcast that you used our host and why why even do that?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so again. Um, I, I, I I created that podcast out of curiosity mm-hmm. um, because I got put in charge of regulating these billion dollar utility companies and and utilities is extremely complicated. How energy flows and you control, I mean, all over the country and the grid. It is so technical and I am not a technical person.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: everybody was talking way over my head. They were mm-hmm. using all these acronyms I knew nothing about. So I created a podcast called Simplifying Energy that basically took complex topics mm-hmm. and got them down to where I could understand them and I could explain them to people at the dinner table. So, you know, most people, I mean, one of the biggest things you use every day is energy, but nobody knows how it works. So mm-hmm. we simplified and that's what it was. It was trying to take complex information and make it easy to understand for the average family so they could be like, huh, that makes sense. Oh, mm-hmm. I should do this. And, mm-hmm. and so that, but it was more my own journey of education because I didn't understand it either. And I mm-hmm. figured, well, if, if I'm going to be learning, maybe I can help somebody learn, uh, uh, learn mm-hmm. via, via that way. And it was entertaining and fun. And I used a lot of pop culture and trying yeah. to, you know, take, take something that's highly technical and boring and
0: make mm-hmm. it fun, which was hard. How, how long did that last for you as far as podcast?
1: Oh, I was doing that. I did that for about two years. Um, okay. and then, uh, you know in in cases uh, in legal cases where you know utilities would want to raise rates um mm-hmm. they were starting to get transcripts of my podcast and enter mm-hmm. them into the case record and uh, start using them in uh, in the legal cases uh-huh. and uh so my general counsel kind of came to me and said hey um all of your podcasts are now entered into uh court cases <laughs> maybe <laughs> you should stop doing that so I stopped
0: <laughs> I definitely understand it. So, um, considering everything that you've accomplished now, what are your goals for like 2024? Uh,
1: 2024, um, I really just want to help people. I, I whatever whatever way that helps. If that's uh, helping businesses grow, helping you know individuals, you know you know figure out how to get a, a life of significance rather than just going through the motions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to continue doing more uh, public speaking um uh, I really connect with audiences and I get great feedback and I love it I've always loved it my whole life um but really wherever god wants me to help people and 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 give people hope and mm-hmm. give people peace mm-hmm. uh I'm I I want to want to continue down that road. don't know what that'll be but I'm just going to continue to do my thing and yeah. it seems to seems to work well
0: I love it I uh, I feel like you you genuinely, genuinely connect with people and you're you're authentic you you are you authentically it's like you no know, no uh mask or anything like that i watched a couple of your videos of you speaking um and uh, i looked at the website so it, and oh. that's how you come across
1: well awesome well that uh um that's that's the biggest compliment uh, that somebody could pay is if, if you're authentic because uh not everybody likes my style but it's mm-hmm. me and that's who i am and if
0: well, you know, I think the people who probably don't like the style are the ones who probably are trying to paint a different picture of themselves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, hey. very true.
0: But <laughs> well, Scott, I uh, appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, for anyone who wants to hire you, check you out, uh, get the book, anything like that, where would people need to be directed to?
1: Yeah. Just go to my website, which is com. That's R U P P. Uh, you can order the book, uh, you know, the audio book, everything, you know, through there. Uh, you can you know watch read my blog, sign up for my newsletter, see the speaking reels, uh, you know just contact me that way. But ScottRoop.com, and plus I'm also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all the socials. Mm-hmm.